This morning we celebrate Jesus, the victory of God. In Christ, we celebrate the victory of God over the powers of evil and injustice. We celebrate the victory of God over the powers of sin and darkness. In Christ, this morning we celebrate the victory of God over the powers of death. But as you look around this world, does it look like the powers of evil and injustice have been vanquished? When I look around, it seems the powers of evil and injustice are alive and well. When you look around the world, when you look at your own life, does it seem as if the powers of sin have been eliminated? When I look around the world, when I look at my own life, it seems as if the power of sin is still going strong. When I look around the world, it doesn't seem as if the power of death has been conquered. For those of you who have lost a loved one, you still feel the sting of death deeply and powerfully, do you not? What are we to make of this celebration that in Christ God has conquered the powers of evil, injustice, sin, darkness, and death when our reality is a different story? Now some of you are thinking, there he goes again. Turning things upside down, making us think, can't you just let us enjoy Easter? (laughs) Of all Sundays, can't you just let us be happy? You know, the praise band was going, we're all in a good mood. Why must you do this thing you do? I get it. I tried, I did. (laughs) So in the spirit of confusing you and turning things upside down... (laughs) We are going to explore the paradox of Easter this morning. Not only the paradox, but the promises of Easter. So there's promises, but there's also a paradox that comes with Easter. I want to start with the paradox. So paradox is essentially when we bring two or more contrary, irreconcilable truths. And when held together, they reveal a deeper truth or a hidden harmony and synergy. So the the ultimate example of paradox is Christ himself. Christ is the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's core belief of Christianity. 100% God, who by definition is not human, and 100% human, who by definition is not God. That's paradox. Christ is the Prince of Peace who tears down Every wall that divides us, every barrier that prevents us from experiencing peace and unity with one another. And yet, Christ is also the judge of the world who came not to bring peace, but to bring division, who will separate the sheep from the goats. Paradox. Christ is the mighty Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. Paradox. Christ is the Lord of laughter. I love this. 
And the man of sorrow, the Bible calls Jesus. The man of sorrow, the Lord of laughter. Jesus, joy of man's desiring, the source of joy, the suffering servant, the man of sorrow. Paradox. Paradox. The kingdom that Jesus inaugurates, paradox. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, yet the kingdom of God is not here. The kingdom of God is still coming. So the power, the truth of Easter is also paradox. And the essence of the paradox of Easter is this, that the, the suffering, the loss, the, the, the failure, the disappointment, the death of Good Friday is just as much our reality as Christians as the hope, the victory, the resurrection, the miraculous power of Easter. That's the paradox of Easter. We... We often want to just rush through Good Friday and get to Easter, right? Subconsciously thinking we can rush through the pain and the loss and the, and the, the failure and the, and the suffering and the death that life brings us so we can quickly get to, to the, the joy and the hope and the victory and the miraculous power and resurrection life of Easter. And then once we get to Easter, I mean, it's just all Easter from there, baby, right? Yeah, just all... Except when we come to that one day next year, Good Friday, then we pretend to kind of go through the pain and the suffering and the loss and death. But then right on back to Easter, it's all Easter. But that doesn't reflect reality. The paradox of Easter is that both Good Friday and Easter are our realities simultaneously. They're contradictory. They oppose one another. But paradoxically, they synergize. They come together and become our reality. In fact, Jesus says, not only is Good Friday not only a one-time or once-a-year experience, it's something that we experience every day. This is a daily part of our routine. A daily part of our existence. Each day we we experience the suffering and loss and death of self. The very death of self is something we experience each and every day. In fact, only through the daily experience of Good Friday can we experience the victory and the hope and the new life of Easter. You know, I think this is why Paul says, if our hope in Christ is only for what we receive in this life on earth, then we should be more pitied than anyone else on earth. That comes from the lectionary readings this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 19. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. That's an interesting statement. Not some. All will be made alive in Christ. That's another message. But each in his own order. There's a sequence here. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end. At the end of time, when Christ hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. After Christ has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's so much here. But let's go back to the original statement. If our only hope in Christ is for what we receive in this life on earth, then our lives are not to be envied by others, but to be pitied. That's quite a statement that Paul is making. What is he saying? Why does he say that? Well, in essence, he's saying if you choose to follow the way of Jesus, then Good Friday becomes just as much a part of your reality, and all that entails, as Easter Sunday. And from an earthly, materialistic perspective, your life is probably not going to get better. If anything, it's going to get worse. And Paul's speaking from experience. I mean, ever since he made the decision to follow the way of Jesus, to put his faith in Christ, his life, from a materialistic, earthly perspective, did not get better. I mean, have you read his resume as a Christian? I mean, he was regularly beaten. He was whipped, he was flogged, he was imprisoned, he was attacked, he was persecuted, he was, he was abandoned, he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned. I'm talking about the kind of stone where people throw rocks at you until they think you're dead. Paul's saying, if you follow the way of Jesus, the, the, the promise of Easter isn't that you will be spared from the hardship and the pain and the suffering and the, and the failure and the frustration and the loss and death that life brings. No, no, no. You're probably going to experience more of that. Would you like to sign up? <laughs> you know, Paul would have made a very bad prosperity gospel preacher. <laughs> right? I mean, the prosperity gospel philosophy is that if you follow Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, everything about your life will be better. You will be healthier. You will be wealthier. You will have more friends and influence more people. You will be successful. You will get that promotion at work. If all that is true, then why would Paul say, if you fall away of Jesus, people around you are going to look at you and pity you more than envy you? That doesn't make sense. Right? I mean, imagine the way people talked about Paul. Wow, what happened to that guy? He used to be so brilliant. He was going places. Have you seen him lately? I mean, it looks like people threw rocks at his face. They did? Oh, well, that explains it. (laughs) Right? Really? Seriously? What a sales pitch. (laughs) Don't get me laughing, Shane. I thought it was funny, too. (laughs) They did. They did. Truth is funnier than fiction. Back Back to the message at hand, though. Sorry, Paul. What is the promise of Easter? Well, there's three promises of Easter. Well, there's more, but there's three I'm going to share, focus on. So we've already established that the promise of Easter is not that your life, from a materialistic, earthly perspective, it's going to get so much better. It's not that you are going to be spared from the pain and suffering and loss and failure and frustration and difficulty and hardship of life. That is not the promise of Easter. The promise of Easter, the first one, is that death is not the end. That your physical, earthly life is just a snap of the finger compared to your eternal existence. 
in Christ, you become aware, you are awakened to the fact that you are immortal. Your life is eternal. I mean, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us throughout eternity. The analogy that comes to my mind is, if, if you know hockey, is, is, is this lifetime is, is like an exhibition game. But your, your whole lifetime is, is, I mean, it's a long season, and then come the playoffs where things really get good. In fact, it, your lifetime on earth isn't even an exhibition game. It's like the first shift of an exhibition game. It's nothing compared to the, the length and breadth and depth of your existence which is eternal in Christ. Now, many Christians struggle with this concept of eternity. I've heard Christians say, I don't know if I want to live for eternity. That seems like a long time. It could get boring. And I get it. I struggle with the concept. Our finite minds cannot grasp what that could even possibly mean. And does it require you to believe in eternity to be a Christian? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't make the rules. That's probably good for all of us, Right? Because some days when I'm driving the car and someone cuts me off, if I made the rules, that poor person would be condemned for all eternity. I mean, it's, it's pretty bad sometimes. Oh, like you've never had thoughts. Like I said, the power of sin is still alive and well in my life, right? I don't make the rules, but I'm just sharing with you the promise that Christ and Paul and the apostles share with us that the promise of Easter is that you actually live for eternity. And when you cultivate, when you become aware of this eternal perspective, the stuff we're going through now is nothing because you understand how how much beauty and glory and wonder and awesomeness is going to be experienced in the eternity of your existence. And we can't understand this. It's just it's it's more of a feeling, more of a more of a sensation than a than an intellectual apprehension. But that's the first promise. Death is not the end. You are immortal. And Christ is preparing a place for you in the community of God. The second promise of Easter is the the promise of presence. So the promise is not that Christ takes away your Good Friday-ness. The Good Friday-ness of life is still part of your reality. The death, the failure, the pain, the suffering, the problems. That's still going to be a major part of your life. What Christ promises is to walk with you. You know, Kanye West doesn't get a lot of things, but he got this. Jesus walks with us, right? Christ is present with us. I mean, that's one of the first things that Jesus announces after the resurrection to his disciples. Lo, I will be with you always. Always I will be present with you. I'll be present in your life. And when we tune into the presence of Christ with us, then we tune into the peace of God that transcends our understanding. We tune into a joy that that overflows. It's like a cup filled to overflowing with joy. We tune into divine wisdom and truth. And that's the thing from a, an earthly, materialistic perspective. You cannot see and appreciate and understand 
the life-changing reality of being in tune with the presence of Christ. I mean, there's an, this in, you're opened up to this internal reality of Christ's presence that, that brings this, this incredible peace and joy and, and meaning, and, and you just can't see that or appreciate that from the outside. And it's not something that we measure from a materialistic lens as being an enviable life. I mean, what's an enviable life for most of us in the West? It's getting that promotion. It's having more friends or better friends, having more opportunities, more connections, having the nicer car, the cottage. You know what it is. You know the life that we have been conditioned to believe is the good life. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And the rewards of being in in Christ are not of this world. They're not measurable by the materialistic standards of what the good life is. But those of you who have tasted this interior good life and to know that it will only perpetuate for all eternity is is life-changing to say the least. That's the second, second promise of Easter is that Christ will be present with you through all the pain and the problems of life. The third promise is this, that the powers will be defeated. The powers of evil, injustice, the powers of sin and darkness, the powers of death will be defeated. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about, 1 Corinthians 15. He's saying that Christ continues the work of subjecting all these powers and authorities, all this energy that is He describes as being enemies with God, enemies with peace, things that are opposed or contradictory to love. Christ continues the work of subjecting those under his feet, making them submit to the authority and power of Christ within you. An interesting comment that Paul makes is, and the last one that will be defeated is death. The power of death is the last one. What that means is for us to fully receive freedom from the shadow of death that hangs over us all. All the other powers and energies that oppose love, that oppose God in our lives must be subjected to the authority and power of Christ within first. So in order for us to fully receive and live in resurrection power, newness, true newness of life, all the enemies of God, all the energy in our lives that are opposed to love must be defeated first. That's very interesting to reflect on. Like think of it personally. Like what are these enemies of God? What are these energies in your life that need to be made subject to the authority and power of Christ within you, that needs to be defeated. We're, 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 we're not talking, the enemies of, of God are not people. I mean, Paul gives us a hint. The last enemy that will be defeated is death. These are the powers of evil, injustice, sin, and darkness, active and at work in our lives, manifest in things like pride and greed and lust and judgmentalism 
and jealousy, cynicism. These are at work in you and they're at work in me. So, when I think of the paradox, and it's always dangerous to try and explain the paradox because then it's not a paradox anymore. But if I try and understand the paradox of how in Christ these powers, including the powers of death, have been defeated, and yet in our reality the powers, including the power of death, have not been defeated, here's how I understand it in a very a very superficial way of understanding it. In the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the powers of evil and injustice and sin and darkness and death have been defeated. But they haven't been defeated in your life and in my life yet. Unless, would someone like to stand up and testify how all of those powers have been completely eliminated in your life? That's the process. So that's the paradox is they've already been defeated, yet they are still being defeated in your life and in mine. And that applies to communities as well. In church communities, the powers of evil and injustice and sin and darkness and death are still at work in church communities. And so our task is to to really... There's nothing we can do It's Christ who defeats the enemies. It's Christ who makes these powers and energies subject to the authority and power of Christ within us and amongst us. The only thing we need to do is to let Christ do his work. Stop resisting the work of Christ. How do we resist the work of Christ? By holding on. Because for some reason, Christ waits for our permission to start removing and defeating these things in our lives. It's interesting. It's bizarre, but we become attached to our pride, to our lust, to our greed, to our judgmentalism, to our cynicism, to our fear. We become attached to these things. They, they come to define us. They make us feel comfortable. It's a sick relationship, but we, we all have these bizarre attachments What would life be like without my pride? Without my greed? Without my judgmentalism? I mean, it's as simple as a moment. A couple weeks ago, I had an interesting conversation with Tammy where I I wasn't the epitome of the sunbeam that Jesus wants me to be. Let's put it that way. I have these moments. If I, know, I know this is going to be shocking to you. But I have moments where uh, I can speak words that are not life-giving. And so I become convicted after this conversation. And the intense wrestling match with my pride surprised me. And underneath that pride, what I discovered was fear. Why don't you just apologize? For some reason, I realized I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? It was so bizarre. But, I, but the more I, I leaned into that fear, I felt it through my whole being. I, it's true. I'm actually afraid. And I still haven't sorted out what that fear is. But as I leaned into it, and then, <clears throat> and it was kind of a Good Friday experience, you know, it felt like I'm dying. Just humbling myself to apologize. It felt like this Good Friday death and pain and loss. 
And yet as I leaned into it, I also held on to the other side of the paradox, the, the victory, the hope, <laughs> the resurrection power, the new life, and I just went through it. And I apologized. And then just as a little cherry on top, I added at the end of the apology, but you know, you could have, you know, just adding some wisdom on what she could have done differently. It's baby steps in our transformation, right? Baby steps. But so close, so close, Troy. It's amazing how attached we are to these energies, to these powers, to these authorities that are opposed to love, to Christ. As you begin to dig in, you will be surprised. If you're not aware of it, that means you need to start digging now. Because that means they're probably controlling your life, unbeknownst to you. The spiritual journey is becoming aware of the battle that actually is going on within your own being. So that's, in a nutshell, how... how Good Friday and Easter, these two realities are how we grow and how we are emancipated and set free to enjoy the newness of life, the resurrection life that Christ wants to extend to us. And every day, every day there are Good Friday experiences waiting for you. Little deaths I mean, the spiritual journey is really just releasing more of the things that you're holding on to, to the power of Christ, to defeat and make subject to the authority and power of Christ in your life. That's really what the spiritual journey is. You're not doing anything. You're just letting more stuff go. You're becoming aware of more things that you're holding on to. And, oh, okay. And it's terrifying when you let those things go. Because a part of it is your religiosity, your your belief system, your theology. I mean, it's all got to go. We're going out of business. It's all got to (laughs) go. And as you hold one thing after another, and and, and Christ looks at you, are you sure? No, but I'm I'm just going to trust you. And then you go through that Good Friday experience, and you feel the death, and you feel the loss, and you feel the disappointment. And then it's only through that Good Friday experience you feel the resurrection, the hope, the victory, the miraculous power that is at work in our world. It's also reality. This isn't theoretical. This is constantly, constantly flowing in to our lives, this darkness and light, this death and life. This is our existence as followers of the way of Jesus. I hope that's good news. It's supposed to be good news. But what it means is, you know, when it's Friday and you're experiencing that suffering and death, Sunday's coming, right? But it also means when it's Sunday and everything's turning up roses, that means Friday's coming too, right? Don't fear it, because that is how we are emancipated and set free to to be the glorious. I mean, glory is being revealed in us. That's what Paul says as we let go. Glory, beauty, amazing things are being revealed within our own beings. It's, It's already here. We're just letting it out, letting it shine.